0: I'm Matt, and I'm Jenna, we are Manna, and this is Food for Thought, a podcast dedicated to encourage and inspire you as you seek to grow your relationship with Christ and live out your Catholic faith. In today's episode, we are talking about the beast of comparison. Why do we compare ourselves to other people? I don't know. Let's talk about it. You know, I feel like I've got to mention this because, I don't know, it's just been on my mind, but you know, talking about addiction, my sister, she was addicted to the hokey pokey. It was a rough couple of years, but she turned herself around. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 77. So good to be with all of you. I hope you enjoyed the recording of uh, the talk I gave for Omnia Catholic last episode. Uh, we had to delay this episode a little bit because life is crazy and trying to get back into ministry in this time of year, this school year, is just chaos with you know half of the resources and the staff that we normally have. And so prayers are appreciated and your patience is greatly appreciated Um, But I'm glad to be back to bring you this episode on something I've been preparing for and praying with, talking to people about for quite some time, and that is comparison. But before we get into that, let's get into the peak, pit, and plug. Peak, pit, plug. That's my music. Um Peak, it's been a month, so there's been a lot of great stuff happening. Some of you send in, you know, comments and questions about this episode. So, thank you um, to you all, um, Rochelle, Kevin, Natalie. Thank you for comments that you've been giving about the podcast, uh, Justine, Faye, Emily, and your mom. Like, just so good to hear that this podcast is still um, continuing to, um, to touch people, uh, and, and reach new people. Um, and so as long as the Lord is using it, as long as he is working, I want to continue to be faithful to that. And so, so grateful. And another peak is that, um, Jenna, if you follow Jenna in any other capacity, um, her son Jude has had a series of three surgeries in the first nine months of his life. And the last one, um, went very well. And I think it will be the last one. And so, um, yeah, and everything went well. He's recovering well. And so praise the Lord for all of that. So a lot of great things to praise the Lord about. But my main peak is uh, my daughter and the fact that she sings and knows awesome songs. So I want to play you a little clip of my daughter singing uh, the prayer of St. Francis and then goes right into Restless by Audrey Assad. anyway that is just so adorable and she's you know just over two and she knows like i I mean i've never been around a lot of other two-year-olds so i'm sure every parent wants to think that their kid is like a genius but she's kind of scary how much she knows and um so i hope you could hear that okay that sound in the background was her on a swing we have a little swing in our backyard which has also been a great peak so lots of peak moments uh my pit, I have two pits. Um well I have two armpits, but I also have two <laughs> Oh, that made me laugh too much. Um, one was that many of you know we've been composting. Found out we've been composting wrong and putting compost in our pots and in some of the things um not in the right way and so uh we've had some birds trying to uh attack our plants and dig up the compost and uh we had to throw some uh, pots and seeds away because just wasn't um wasn't working and was creating a smell. So now we have that figured out, praise the Lord. But another pit I just found out is that my wife pointed this out to me and I have never noticed this in my entire life. But my feet are drastically different from each other <laughs> in size, shape, angle, like it's very bizarre. So You can really only see it if my feet are bare, which they pretty much never are unless I'm at home, which is probably why I and no one else have really ever noticed before. So my pit is that my feet are weird, but um, the Lord loves me and that is all that matters. So, and then my plug, I want to um, plug a couple of things, but the first thing, super proud of my wife and um, my longtime friend, Jesse, they launched a uh, Instagram account, which is a book study club. Um, it's not Catholic, but it's just they're very beautiful, wholesome, wonderful women and uh, really just want to explore uh, reading and drinking tea. And if so, if that's your vibe, follow them on Instagram at Teaspoons and Tomes, T-O-M-E-S, Teaspoons and Tomes. And they read a book a month and talk about it and drink some tea and they're awesome people. So if that's something you're into. I don't know if it's just for women, but... You know, I probably should have asked that, but um, I don't think it is. Maybe it is. I don't know. But go follow them anyway to see all the awesome things that they're doing and just to support them and pray for them and cheer them on because they're two of my favorite people on the planet in the universe. Anyways, um, so that's a plug. And then I've been reading some good books lately. I recently finished Why I Am Catholic and You Should Be Too by Brandon Vaught And he's uh, the content director at Word on Fire Ministries with Bishop, Catholic, uh, Bishop, Catholic, Bishop Robert Barron. And uh, that's a very good book, especially if you want, like, a beginning-to-end defense of Catholicism that's very simple and not very convoluted or difficult to understand um, or just to give to someone who's maybe contemplating Catholicism or has some difficulties with it. Um, but another book that I finished recently that I want to talk about one line in is a book called Holy Marriage, Healthy Marriage by Chris and Linda Padgett. Chris is a speaker, a musician, a a professor, um, and they, uh, just an awesome Catholic family. And, uh, there was this one line in the book that, um, that Linda, his wife wrote, and it was, do not judge the inside of your house based on the outside of someone else's. Do not judge the inside of your house based on the outside of someone else's. And I had been thinking about doing an episode on comparison and I read that line and I said, you know, not just in marriage, but I think in life, that is such a good reminder That we never see the interior life, the secrets, the darker parts, the more difficulties or struggles of most people. We see the highlight reel on social media. We see it filtered. We see the mask people put on to kind of keep it together in public. And we tend to judge what's going on in our interior reality just based on what we see out there. And so if this comes to your marriage, your relationships, your vocation, your faith, um, just your life in general, what you do for a living, how much money you make, where you're going to school, if you feel behind or whatever it may be. That's what I want to start and caveat this whole episode with is that line. Do not judge the inside of your house based on the outside of someone else's. Do not judge the inside of your life, your own heart, based on what you see or what the appearance is in other people. This is such a prevalent thing now because of social media and because of our globalization, our interconnectivity, the ways in which we can follow other people and see what's going on in their lives and the way in which we share what's going on in our lives. I've said this many times before, but most people aren't vulnerable 24-7 on social media. You know, they're trying to get likes and comments and shares. Um, They're trying to subscribe. And I mean, if you go on something like TikTok, TikTok is just a wasteland of people doing the most basic things, usually trying to use their body to appeal for likes and comments and whatever it is um, with dances and, you know, things like that. And um, it's just it's a very strange world that we live in that we're using our outward appearance to simply just try and be glamorous and attractive and appealing to other people. Now, it's not to say you should wear a burlap sack and, you know, throw ashes on your face and be like, you know, woe is me. But it's it's evident that we are very much about the outward appearance. And I think more so in than previous centuries, obviously. More so than previous generations. Like, this is very on the forefront right now because we can see... What everyone else is doing and in the midst of a pandemic we've been home on social media and technology a lot more and probably much more in a position where we are absorbing all that information about the people around us and then this pressure to be like okay what are you doing with your quarantine time did you learn a new skill learn a new language and it's like how do i feel behind already and now that we're in the middle of a pandemic when we're just trying to think about basic resources and health how do i feel even more behind at like not glamorizing the pandemic it's very interesting that that is the life that we live and this was the second reading in one of the uh, in mass a couple weeks ago um from romans chapter 12 verse 2 a very famous verse where it says do not conform yourselves to this age but be transformed by the renewal of your mind That you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and pleasing and perfect. Do not conform yourselves to this age. There will always be a fad, a trend, a popular thing. But if we're really not called to do it, if it's not transforming us, if it's not bettering us, if it's not utilizing the unique gifts, talents, and mission that God has called us to, then we need to discern the will of God, as that verse says. Discern, is this good? Is this pleasing? Is this perfect? You might even change those words a little bit. Is this good? Is this beautiful? Is this true? That is really what we're all looking for in life, is the true, the good, and the beautiful. That is what we long for. That is the source of the deepest desires and passions of our hearts. And we did a series on, you know, the five transcendental desires a while, a while back. I would encourage you to go back and, and listen to those um, on truth, goodness, beauty, love, and belonging. The five things that the philosopher Plato thousands of years ago identified that every human person shares a common desire for. And yet we will often settle for cheap alternatives, for what is more immediate, what is more instant, what is in front of us, simply out of the pressure because everyone else is doing it. Or because it's too difficult to wait. It's too difficult not to have that gratification now because we feel like we're falling behind. We feel like we're missing out. Remember FOMO, fear of missing out? Or YOLO, you only live once? Like these acronyms, you know, they may have been part of the vernacular, but they've really seeped into our cultural identity. And they've really become something that it's like, no, you have to have every experience because you only live once. You have to be afraid of missing out because who knows if you'll ever be able to get where you need to be or if you'll miss that opportunity to meet your future spouse or to get that career opportunity or to be in, you know, X position or Y position and get ahead of the game. All of that is it's almost like this culture of fear around progress and um, success that we've created to kind of um, compel people to be more proactive to do something that really won't make them happy in the long run. This um, reminded me of Genesis in the Garden of Eden in chapter three, when the serpent is tempting Adam and Eve. He says uh, in, in chapter three, verse five, God knows well that when you eat of it, the fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like gods who know good and evil. What was the temptation there? You will be like him. It was a temptation of comparison. Adam and Eve had everything they needed. Everything was provided. they didn't struggle. they would never have suffered. they would never have died. They were provided every opportunity, resource, luxury, everything that they needed. It was a perfect state of a what's called original innocence. And yet, The first temptation was one of comparison. And then that become one of distrust, one of pride, one of then disobedience to say, no, we can't trust God. In fact, we think we can do a better job. We want to be like him. We want to have the knowledge he has so that we can be autonomous, that we can be successful, that we can be even better than him. And so it says in verse six of Genesis chapter three, then the woman saw that the tree was good for food pleasing to the eyes, and the tree was desirable for gaining wisdom. Good for food, goodness, pleasing, it was beautiful, and desirable for gaining wisdom, truth. True, good, and beautiful, that is what we desire. But she saw this, and in it, she saw the true, the good, and the beautiful, but it was a distortion of those, because it was what they were told not to do. So she took, as it says in the verse, she took some of its fruit and ate it, and she also gave to her husband who was with her, and he Ate it. They both failed in that role of obedience and of being content with what they had and where they were and what God was calling them to do, who God was calling them to be. They had everything, and yet the sin of, I don't know if you'd call it a sin, but the temptation of dissatisfaction and comparison crept in and made them feel like they were lacking something. And I think that is the reality that we all face when we come up against this, what I call the beast of comparison. It's so easy to forget about all we have and just focus on the one or two have nots. The two things in our life or the three things in our life that we wish were different. But to forget about our health, uh, our financial stability, the fact that we have food on the table, a shelter over our heads. And I'm not trying to resign all these desires and hopes that we have as first world problems and say that they're not important but i think if you made a pro and a con list of your life the things you think about the most would be the two or three things on the con list and you would have be totally you'd be totally neglecting the thousand plus things on the pro list we need to be a little bit more generous to ourselves when we look at our lives we need to allow ourselves to be satisfied with where we are i watched this very wonderful um I know what you call it workshop, seminar, conversation, it's a conversation on Ave Maria Press their Instagram um account. They did an Instagram live um Faith and Family series on the single life. And um some people I've worked with and know um Katie Prejean McGrady hosted it and um Jessica and Ryan two people I know were Uh, Part of that conversation, and another woman named Chanel. um, And those three, Jessica Ryan and Chanel, were all in the state of the single life right now. And they were talking about this fact that, you know, this idea of almost like vocational comparison has crept into our Catholic culture to make it seem like marriage is like the goal. It's all about getting married, you know? And so when we're. Looking around and uh, seeing all of our friends marrying off or having babies, that sin of comparison or temptation of comparison creeps in and makes it feel like, okay, this is the ideal. This is the end goal. This is where I'm supposed to be, and I'm not there yet, and that's bad. And they were talking about how destructive the way that even we in the church have talked about marriage as a vocation can be and completely rob everyone of seeing vocation as personal discipleship with Jesus Christ. No matter what vocation you are in now or ultimately called to, your vocation is one, one of personal holiness. That's our universal vocation to holiness, to be set apart for the Lord. But your vocation, if you're called to the single life, the religious life, the priesthood, the married life, whatever it is, your vocation is to be in intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're in the state of single life, your job is to be a disciple of Jesus If you are a priest, your job is to be a disciple of Jesus and serve as a priest. If you're religious, same thing. If you're married, your job is to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus is the center of your marriage. You're both pursuing Jesus. The other person in the marriage, the spouse, is not your ultimate fulfillment or happiness. They are another imperfect human. But because you two want to pursue Jesus together in a partnership for the whole of life, as the catechism and canon law on marriage says, to make a partnership for the whole of life, if you want to go on that adventure of discipleship together, then how you experience discipleship can be more fulfilling. But it doesn't mean that it is better. In fact, most people don't know this. In the Catechism, uh, paragraph 916, it says, the state of consecrated life, so if someone is consecrated single, is thus one way of experiencing a more intimate consecration, rooted in baptism and dedicated totally to God. We see this in scripture in some places with St. Paul. Uh, We see this in the catechism and in theology that actually, yes, our bodies are designed for partnership with one another. And so the church teaches that um, the intimacy of a marriage, especially in the marital bed, is the closest experience we can have of the pleasure and the, the fullness of truth, goodness, of beauty in heaven. But the state of our vocation in heaven will be that of the single life. Like we're there's no marriage in heaven, and that may strike you as like crazy, like especially if you're married and you're absolutely love being married, or if you just really want to be married. But that's what Jesus says in Scripture. There's no marriage in heaven. Why is that? C.S. Lewis makes this great analogy where um, there's a story, and um, you know uh, someone is telling a child how babies are made, and the child asks, and they tell how babies are made, and kind of explaining what sex is in the best way they can to this child. And they explain it as it's the greatest and most beautiful thing that we can do with someone, someone else. And so the child says, well, can I, can I eat candy while I have sex? And the adult is like, well, no, like, like once you understand what that is, once you experience it in the way it's designed to be experienced, you'll realize that that's like a ridiculous question. That's the same comparison to marriage or any vocation and heaven. If we ask, like, well, will I be able to do this or live this way in heaven? Be like, well, I mean, that's ridiculous. Because when you're in heaven, it's so much better than anything we could experience in any vocation here on earth. We can get glimpses of it. But that is why the consecrated life, that sacrificial um, life of sacrificing the biological um, ordered nature That we have to be in um, physical union with one another, to be in an intimate spiritual union with Jesus is sometimes considered an elevated vocation, more elevated vocation, because it gets the goal of every vocation being discipleship to Jesus. So why am I talking about vocations and things like that? Because when it comes to vocations, when it comes to marriages... We can tend to compare ourselves to other couples. When it comes to the single life, we can tend to compare ourselves to other people who are dating or, you know, how quick they got married, how old they were, you know, why aren't I having kids yet? Why aren't I in this state or this state yet? When we're discerning the religious life, I had a question come in um, about this episode about like, do people in the religious life deal with comparison? Yes, absolutely. Priests I've talked to, you know, and and people I've um, interacted with, they have these same tendencies to think like, well, you know, that priest is a better preacher, like, should I be doing that? Or that pastor at that parish is approaching their congregation this way? And should I be doing this whole new program? And feeling very insecure, feeling very much like they don't have the gifts, or the same talents that people who are considered really good or dynamic priests have. And there's probably in the priesthood, And in the religious life, this whole tendency for priests to compare themselves to people like Father Mike Schmitz or for sisters to compare themselves to people like Sister Miriam Hyland, like they're great, wonderful speakers who are so articulate, so prayerful, so passionate and so gifted, but we can't see those gifts and passions as the only important ones or the best. They are simply being experienced by us as good and true and beautiful because those people are living out the fullness of their individual vocation to Jesus in the unique gifts, talents, and mission that God has given them. And so when we talk about comparison, we really have to recognize our tendency to look outward instead of inward, to look left and right instead of looking upward. That God has called you to something incredible. And he's called you to it in such a way that he wants no one else's experience to look like yours. I've talked, I think, on a previous episode about the four levels of happiness, I believe this comes from Father Robert Spitzer, who's a Jesuit priest and astrophysicist, and um, he was the former president of Gonzaga University, and he runs an online apostolate called the Majus Institute, or the Majus Center, and has a lot of resources on faith and reason. Um, But he talks about the four levels of happiness, the first one being instant gratification. The first and easiest level of happiness, I'm hungry, I want food, I'm happy, But the thing with instant gratification is it's gone as soon as the thing that was making you happy has run out. So whether it's something good like food, drink, um, you know, um, relaxing, sleep, whatever it is, as soon as that thing is over, that instant gratification, that pleasure, that sense of happiness from it immediately begins to fade. It doesn't last. And even if you do that in a negative way, if you use things like, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, you know, whatever it may be that you're seeking for some level of feeling or happiness or doling pain or, you know, experiencing something um, or even falling into the pressure of other people telling you this is the way to be happy. Yes, you may experience momentary pleasure, but the second that runs out, that will be gone and you'll be left with even more of a pit and a hole in your heart than before. You know, if food was truly fulfilling and really made us happy, we would only ever need to eat once. And then it would fulfill us completely. It's an interesting thing to think about with the Garden of Eden example, because they didn't need to even eat. Their bodies would have been completely sustained, so eating would have just been a form of luxury and pleasure that they were given. And what did that turn into? A means for instant gratification. To get to the second level of happiness, which is comparative. I feel happy when I am doing better than so-and-so. And if I'm not doing better than this person, then I am not happy because I am falling behind. I think we often look at comparative happiness as like we're running a race. And we're in maybe like fourth place. And all we see is the three people in front of us. And we see everything that they're doing. We see their technique. We see you know, everything they're posting on social media, how they're getting married before us, having kids before us, having better jobs, better salaries before us. They're moving. They seem so happy. They're having all these travel experiences. And they seem like they're loving life. And we don't realize that there is an onslaught of people behind us looking at us and thinking the same thing. And we are just... Throwing away the blessing, the giftedness, everything that we have that is good, simply because God has not yet given us these one, two, or three other things. What an insult that is to God's blessing and his providence, and the, the fact that we're called to obedience and trust in him. Like, do we really think that God is a bumbling idiot in heaven who doesn't know what we want and isn't going to give it to us at the perfect time? No, that is not how God works. That's never been how God works. He's always in control. He always has a plan. So, you know, comparative happiness says, if I'm doing better, I'm good. If I'm not on par with the best of my peers, then I'm falling behind. You know, if you're not married yet, if you're not living out of the house yet, if you're not in your desired career, if you feel like you have to go back to school or you're not where you should be, you know, compared to others with your education, if you don't know your vocation yet, if you don't, you know, all these other things, there is a reason why. You do not know it yet. And that reason is either mostly on you or mostly on God. If it's on you, then that probably means that you're battling or grappling with somewhere a deep lack of trust or willingness to accept God's plan for your life at this time and for it to come in his time and not in your time. That there may be some serious trust issues that you may have with the Lord. And that's okay. We all have serious trust issues. I mean, that was the Garden of Eden. The root sin, original sin is... I heard what God said, but I don't trust it. And I think I know better. And that's where we get really frustrated that things aren't happening on our timeline or according to our desired plan. Is when we think, well, my plan obviously is the best one. Why isn't God getting it together? It seems like he's taking things away or doing things more slowly. Like, does he get it? Or... The reason why we don't know these things yet is on God because, why? He's calling you to be exactly where you are. You're coming to God over and over and over again and saying, when is my vocation going to start? When is my vocation going to start? When am I going to get this, 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 and this? And God is looking at you and saying, your vocation is now. Your vocation is happening right now because every vocation is A calling to an intimate, and individual, unique relationship with Jesus as his disciple. Right now, wherever you are, with your family, with your friends, in your workplace, in your school that you feel behind in or that you haven't gotten into yet, in your job that you don't like or that you want to change or that you can't find, in your marriage that's difficult or maybe hasn't happened yet, in whatever vocation or lack of vocation you feel like you are in, That is where God is calling you to be right now. Now, we know, let me caveat this. If you're living a life that is destructive, if you're living a life that's, you know, a path that is not pursuing the true, the good, and the beautiful, and that is really just absorbed in, I want to please other people, I just want to have fun, I just want to be irresponsible, whatever it may be, then God obviously doesn't want you to do that. You know, he's calling you to an individual life of holiness and discipleship at this time, regardless of wherever you are um, on the vocational spectrum. So that is always our bar to raise to. But when we go from that bar and desire to go higher, you know, into an actual maybe primary vocation uh, or into a new job or something like that, into good things, we can make idols out of them and falsely assume that that is where I'm called to be. And that is when I can start being happy, start living my discipleship, start being on mission for the kingdom, when in reality, it's right now. And so if you struggle with that, if you struggle with thinking like I'm behind or people are always better than me, or I feel like I'm not where I'm supposed to be, God is calling you to be present right now to your state in life. Because if it's not happening now, there's a reason. God's not done with you yet. If he was finished with you on this earth, he would just take you right up to heaven. He's not. And so he already has a plan in place for your happiness. And part of that plan is right now. And if you want to get to the next page or the next chapter, you can't get there until you read this one. Pay attention to every word. Pay attention to every moment. Wherever you are, be all there. How do we do this? Recognize the unique gifts, and talents God has given you. Recognize the unique time in salvation history God has called you to live in, the unique relationships and family that you have. Where is there a need? Where is there something that you can do? Where is there a place where your passions can be ignited or educated or fostered more deeply? People will always be better than you at everything else. The only thing they will never be better than you at is your unique purpose. What God has called you to do with your unique gifts and talents, how he's called you specifically to be on mission as part of his plan to bring about the kingdom of God that nobody else can fulfill. If we look outward and compare, we will always feel deficient because we'll see a bunch of other people fulfilling their missions. And because we're so busy looking outward, we're not fulfilling ours. We have to think we have to be like them. We have to fulfill their mission. Part of this might be that you just need to fast from social media, you need to put down your phone, you need to stop wondering and worrying when these things are going to happen or how they're going to happen, acting like you have to force them. And allow yourself to be faithful to this place where God has placed you. Because when we are faithful, we start doing things more responsibly, more faithfully. We start expanding our interests and our passions. We start pursuing things that are good for us, that are opportunities that he places before us right now. And in those new places and new explorations are new doors and new windows to open to new relationships or new possible vocations or deeper um, experiences of our discipleship with Jesus. Comparison will make you only settle for instant gratification and the cheap alternatives to our desires for truth, goodness, and beauty that we possess. You'll find it in just simply like, okay, I got ahead of this person, or now I have this, and so now I'll be happy. Let me tell you, if you find your vocation, you will not be happy simply because you found it. There are plenty of people in sacramental, well-prepared Catholic marriages who are struggling. Who do not feel like it's the happiest thing in the world every day. But who work because they know it's all about their personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if they pursue that, if they help one another pursue that, that will be what matters most. But it doesn't mean it's without difficulty. It doesn't mean it's without insecurity and feeling like, oh, why, aren't, why don't we have it together like such and such couple? People don't air their dirty laundry like that. So it's about looking at, okay, what are we uniquely going through right now? And how can we be more faithful to Jesus in this season of our life? Because we know in him and only in him will we find the deepest fulfillment of truth, goodness, and beauty. I talked about those first two levels of happiness, instant gratification and comparative. The other two are contributory and transcendent. Contributory means serving other people. And transcendent means that we recognize that it comes from a unique relationship with God, a personal relationship with God as a disciple of Jesus Christ, living out our gifts, talents, and calling in a unique way. And so maybe to get past this, we need to get out of ourselves and find ways that we can contribute to the needs of other people. How can your gifts and talents serve others? Because if we're so busy complaining in prayer, me, 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 I, 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 I need this. Why don't I have this? If we can just turn our perspective outward We will recognize how lacking we are in gratitude, how much we truly have, and how much others are truly without. And a spirit of contentedness, a spirit of faithfulness in the current state of our life will, I think, really seep in. And we'll be able to recognize with faith, with trust, that God knows what he's doing. And this is something that everyone struggles with. We all compare ourselves to other people. And until I realize that the best possible thing I can do in my life is to be the best Matt Zemanek that I can be, until I realize that, I will not be truly happy. I will not be truly fulfilled because the best Matt Zemanek I can be is using my unique gifts and talents as part of the mission of God to build the kingdom and be in a unique personal relationship with him as a disciple of Jesus Christ. That is what it's about, no matter where you are, no matter where you are in the world, no matter how old you are, if you're married, unmarried, if you're in school, not in school, if everything's working out in your life or everything's falling apart, that is your calling. And it is the calling for all of us. Nothing supersedes it. It just comes in new primary vocation packages later in life. And so the how we live that out might change. But the what we're living and the why we're living it is always the same. It's always the same discipleship, always Jesus at the center, pursuing him wholeheartedly with all our might, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. That is what it is about. And so if you find yourself struggling to compare yourself to other people, I would encourage you to ask some deep questions in prayer. God, why am I not happy with where I am? What are you offering me today? Some simple strategies or exercises you can do is maybe keep a gratitude journal and write down every day three things that were unique to that day that you are thankful for. Don't just write, I'm thankful for my friends. Why are you thankful for your friends today? What happened with your friendships today? What uniquely inspired you, reminded you that God loves you today? Because God is constantly, constantly pouring abundance into your life. And if it's simply just because it's not the way that you want. That's a pretty selfish way to go about our relationship with God. And I'm saying that as someone who's been completely guilty of it in my life. Not being accusatory, but just saying like, this is something that we all have to own up to. If I did this in my marriage, if I said, you know, my my wife will show that she loves me when she vacuums the carpet. That's what I want. I really want her to vacuum the carpet. That's what I want. And if all I do is harp on that and ask for that, and I ignore everything else that she does, how she loves me, how she helps uh, with the children, how she, you know, takes care of, of our home with me, you know, together, how we both work for our family, how we do all these different things, how she, um, you know, speaks words of affirmation into my life the moments of physical touch, the moments where she does something else for me that I didn't ask for her to do, I will completely be just selfishly rejecting all the love that she is giving me simply because I think I'm going to be happy when this one thing happens. And I think we do that to God a lot. And I think we're missing the point of relationship with him when we do that. People will always be better at you. Better at you. Better than you at... You know, X or Y. The only thing you will be uniquely gifted and fulfilled at is looking inward instead of outward. And you cannot make the mistake, as I said at the beginning, to judge the inside of your home or your life by the outside of another's. Judge the inside of your own heart and your life according to the mission God has called you to in this time and this place. How can you be faithful to that? What are your responsibilities today? Do you have homework? Do you have a job to do? Do you have errands to run? Things to do around the house? People to connect with? A church to serve? A community to serve? A God to worship? Do those things. And in doing those small responsibilities and callings each day, you will see how God is faithful. You will grow in gratitude. And you will be being faithful to your calling right now in this time and place. And when you're faithful in small matters... It's easier to notice when large things are placed in front of you and to say yes to them. But if we're so focused on just God, this door, this door I want to open, this door, we're so focused on that, we'll never turn around and see that we're in a room full of doors and windows, some of which are open and some are closed. And we can spend our whole life yelling at the one door that's never going to open or can maybe go through another door and realize, "Oh, there's another way into that room." I just needed to go this way because God wanted to bless me differently than he blessed that person that I'm constantly comparing myself to. God doesn't want to bless you less than anybody else. He doesn't want to love you less or give you less abundance than anyone else. But he will not do it in the same way. Never. Just like, you know, it's kind of a cheesy thing to say. Everyone's a snowflake, they're unique. But it's it's the way in which God loves us is equal and yet uniquely played out in our life. And so the second you look outward and compare like, oh, that is how God is working in that person's life, you can almost definitively tell yourself that is not how God is gonna work in your own life. At least not down to the detail. You know, it may generally look the same, but it's it's not going to be. You're unique. Your experience is unique, your hopes, your desires, your struggles. What's going to fulfill you and make you feel like you've reached the fullness of your desires for truth, goodness, beauty, love, and belonging. It's going to look different. So I encourage you to lean into that struggle, that tension, to invite God into it, to name it, and to say, I'm really struggling with trusting your plan for me, Lord. But let me remember all of the things today that I have to be grateful for. Let me try and be faithful to what you've called me to right now and not spend my day wasting time and opportunities worrying about what could be or what has not happened yet or what might be because I know you will get me there. It's like that story of C.S. Lewis. Can I have candy while I'm having sex? It's like, well, it doesn't make any sense. It's like, well, can I have my vocation, my plan now, God? Well, I don't want to give it to you now because it's not going to be good yet because what you're doing right now is what matters right now. And you'll realize when you get there that this was so important to be present to, because without it, you would not have been ready to faithfully receive and act upon what I was going to send you next. If this is a struggle for you, if you need a saint for inspiration or intercession, I want to offer you pretty much every saint, but um, because they all, you know, were courageously faithful to the unique things that God called them to and stood out in their time um, most usually. But one in particular that um, resonated with me as I was preparing for this episode was Saint Bernadette Soubirous. You may not know her name, she's, um, but you know her story. She was born uh, January 7th in 1844 in Lourdes, France. That should ring a bell. That's in the southwestern part of France. Um, she died April 16th, 1879 in Nevers. And that would mean she was about 35 years old when she died. Um, her feast day is April 16th. Uh, she's the patron saint of bodily illness. She's the patron saint of lords in France, shepherds and shepherdesses, patron saint against po- poverty, and people ridiculed for their faith. So she was the oldest of nine kids. Her parents were um, uh, Francois and Louise. Her father was a miller. Her mother was a laundress. And she was very sick as a child. She had cholera and asthma. She only ended up growing to four feet seven inches tall. She was a tiny little human. Um, And that affected her. All of these conditions and things affected her schooling. She could read and write very little. Uh, She didn't speak French, she spoke um, a a more, um, I think it was a more common language at the time called Occitan, Um, and it sounds in some of what I've read of it almost like an amalgamation of like Basque and French or like Spanish and French, something like that. Um, But her family was pretty poor. They lived basically in a basement of a um, a relative's home, uh, I believe. Uh, But when she was 14 years old, she was out gathering firewood with her sister. And um, all the other girls crossed this stream uh, in front of um, this little grotto and walked on to find um, some firewood. And Bernadette stayed behind. She was looking for a place to cross where she wouldn't get her stockings wet. So finally, she couldn't find one. So she sat down to take her shoes off to cross the water. Um, And while she was doing that, she heard this rushing wind sound, but nothing was moving. And she saw this wild rose growing in this natural alcove in, um, a gr- in the grotto there, but um, it wasn't moving either. Um, and so from that little area, uh, or rather like the, the area behind it, she saw this dazzling light and a white figure came out. And um, her sister and her friend uh, said that they saw nothing when they were there. So she was told, Bernadette was told to return that Sunday, and when she was, when she did, she, um, was, um, told, was reported by other people who were there with her. I think her sister and a friend again, um, that she was in a trance. And so she was told to return every fortnight, every two weeks, her family, um, tried to forbid it. Um, they were embarrassed. Um, they didn't want to make a whole big thing of it or, you know, have negative attention brought on their family, um, There were others who thought it might be Mary, but not until her 17th vision did the apparition reveal itself to be the Blessed Mother. Um, Bernadette referred to it as um, Aquero, which just means that (laughs) in in Occitan. Um, And later, she called the vision a small young lady, Uo Petito Damizello in Occitan. And so, um, didn't even really like this, I think, speaks also to her lack of education. Um, some people even thought she was mentally ill. Um, and that didn't help the fact that the apparition of the Blessed Mother told her to drink the water there, wash in the grotto, eat the herbs that grew there. But when she did, the water in the grotto became, uh, went from this kind of muddy natural water to clear. And um, that is why the waters in Lourdes continue to this day to be very miraculous. They have this miraculous, you know, clarity um, and um, quality to the waters there. Um, So... One of the phrases that the apparition of Mary said to Bernadette was this phrase, I am the Immaculate Conception. And this is what convinced the local bishop that this was really the Blessed Mother, because that was a teaching that had only been um, infallibly defined by Pope Pius IX um, a um, a few years before that. And it wasn't something, these were things at the time that people didn't really know about um, and her being uneducated, not being able to really read or write well, the bishop was like, there's no way that she would have known this and let alone be able to articulate that title for the Blessed Mother. And so um, that had just recently been proclaimed by the church. Um, And so Bernadette said that, and the bishop was convinced that it was Mary. And so the apparition was um, eventually approved as legitimate um, for uh, veneration. But Bernadette did not like the attention she she received. She ended up um, discerning and entering the religious life with the Sisters of Charity. And she spent the rest of her short life um, living at the mother house. And she worked just as an assistant in the infirmary. She served as a sacristan. And she did um, embroidery for altar cloths and the vestments. And so, people there who were at the uh, mother house with her admired her for her humility, the spirit of sacrifice that she had. And one day she was asked about these apparitions that she had seen of the Blessed Mother. And this is what she said The Virgin used me as a broom to remove the dust. When the work is done, the broom is put behind the door again. She ended up dying the Wednesday after Easter while praying the rosary. Um, she died of tuberculosis. Her body was exhumed three times for because of different you know visions or reasons, and uh, she was found to be incorrupt. Her body had not decayed any one of those times, so relics ended up being taken from her body. Um, and at that time, it was common to kind of like you know surgically cut into saints' uh, incorrupt bodies and grab pieces of ribs and things like that for public veneration. And one of the scientists who did that to uh, exhume the body and do kind of a little autopsy on her reported that the interior of her body was completely incorrupt. It was like living muscle tissue. Like it was just incredible the state that everything was in. It was like, you know, it wasn't like she was alive and like bleeding from a surgery, but like all the tissue was like alive Um And what I love about Bernadette's story is that she didn't care about what other people thought. I think I've I've heard one story about when one of these visions or experiences of a trance, she was like eating dirt and mud to drink this water and eat the herbs. Um, She didn't let her status or her lack of education keep her from asserting that she was seeing what she was seeing. And it didn't keep her from being faithful to what God was calling her to do. And she was also content to just fade into the background. She didn't have to be like anybody else, all the other religious people at the time. She was just faithful to what she had received and experienced and what God was calling her to do. And I know that seems like a big grandiose example, like, okay, let's look at Bernadette and maybe the Virgin Mother will appear to you and call you to do amazing things. I don't want that to be the vibe you get from asking St. Bernadette for her intercession. I really want it to be this sense of faithfulness to the calling that you're in, no matter how crazy, unusual, or limited you may feel that it is or that you are to fulfill it. But to simply be faithful to what God is calling you to right now and to pay attention, to pay attention. I have a lot of different ways that I like to explain discernment, but one that I've used um, recently and more frequently is three P's. Uh, First is to pray. The second is to then pay attention. And then the third is then to plan and pencil. So you pray, you ask God like, Lord, I'm trying to be faithful to what you're calling me to. I want to have this relationship with you. Um, Reveal to me, Lord, how I can do that. How can I be faithful now? Uh, What is it that you're calling me to do? And then you pay attention. What? Where do you feel joy? Where do you feel like you're being called to serve? Where do you really feel fulfilled? What's pulling at you? What do you feel like? I this really isn't fulfilling me anymore. I'm kind of stuck in this job or in this state of life. And then look around at the opportunities. Start praying and asking God if this is something you're calling me to change. Help me notice the opportunities when they come up to do that and let them fall into place to be able to support, you know, me financially and what I'm, you know, hoping to do one day and then plan in pencil, begin to actually make a plan. Like I think God might be calling me to do this, but it's always in pencil, always willing to be erased by the movement of the Holy Spirit if we get it wrong, because God has always got the best possible plan in store. And sometimes we can't discern it perfectly. But we can get close to that if we simply look inward and stop looking outward. So stop paying attention to what other people are doing because it may make them happy. But if God wanted it to make you happy, you would be that person. And you're not. You're a unique human with unique gifts and talents who God loves uniquely and loves individually and desires to grow in holiness and relationship with him. And he also desires for you to cooperate in his plan to build the kingdom of God using those unique gifts and talents. And... It'll be in only a way that you can do and it will fulfill you unlike anything you ever imagined. Don't despair or lose hope that it, whatever it is, hasn't happened yet in your life because it is happening now. Your discipleship, your journey, your faithfulness to your relationship with Jesus, that is happening right now, today. And so take hold of it. Do not give up. Do not lose hope. But know that God is working in your life now. He's not waiting until a checkpoint or until a graduation or until a degree or a vocation. He is working now. So listen and be faithful to now and you will see God there and you will find that fulfillment that you were looking for. God bless you, my brothers and sisters. I hope that was of a benefit to you. And I pray that you would share this podcast with anyone you think would benefit from it. That's the highest compliment that you could pay to us uh, is to share it on social media. Follow us at Man of Food for Thought on Instagram. That's the best place to see our other content as well as our weekly gospel, or not gospel, psalm reflections every single week uh, for your benefit. If there's any way we can continue to serve you, any questions you have or ideas for future episodes, please reach out to us, Manafoodforthought at gmail.com or manafoodforthought.com, our website, or on social media. And you can support us financially for as little as a dollar a month. If this podcast has benefited you and you have a dollar in your pocket every month that's extra, why not uh, help us uh, support us to continue to bring this to more people? So um, that being said, God bless you. Stop looking outward. Do not judge the inside of your life and your home by the outside of others. I know that we're praying for you this week. God bless you, and until next time, we will see you in the Eucharist.